it's all a bit crazy because you may have heard we've just come out of lockdown. We've sort oh, of yeah, oh great, yeah. We've we well, came. That's a good thing. Yeah, it's a really good thing. Everyone's really relieved, and you can see it. And you know, you walk down the street, and people have just got a spring in their step, and they're happier. And it's it's wow. and and it's a nice time of year, particularly on the Mornington Peninsula. All the all the sort of wild flowers are in bloom, and it's it's really colourful mm. and, and nice. And the weather's turning uh, turning good as well. So I'm talking to Rick Springfield. He is in Malibu. He's uh, kindly joining us to talk about a new album, a collaboration with a Melbourne artist by the name of Russell Morris. Now, Russell, I've actually interviewed previously about a month ago, and he lives up on the, the Sunshine Coast. And the name of the album is Jack Chrome and the Darkness Waltz. Rick, tell me a little bit. I was intrigued to hear how you got onto this theme of the Day of the Dead, which is this very colourful festival that they have in Mexico and I believe it's also celebrated because of the the Mexican community in America in Southern California in particular I guess it's it's quite a big festival in the states as well uh, how did this become part of this album why is it a, a, an underlying theme uh, we both like Russ lived here in LA for a while and it was really taken by the by the the event every November the day of the dead and I mean, you know, I've kind of been aware of it for a long time living here, but it's just, uh, it, it kind of takes the place of Halloween, I think, for the Hispanic community, but it's a much cooler vibe. It's, uh, you know, the dead come back to share meals and to, you know, visit with their loved ones. So it's actually a really heartwarming kind of family-oriented thing. And the kids dress up, you know, the people get the wrong impression because everyone's wearing skull makeup and they think of Halloween and oh they're trying to be scary but it's just welcoming the dead back is what what the skulls mean right and yeah. what, what they represent yeah and, and Russ and I like both, we both like the idea you know and, and Russ came up with it first he uh, Bruce Hutchins sent me a copy of uh, Russ's video that he did for Carmelita's Dance and uh, I thought it was great I've always loved Russ's adventurism he, he doesn't just stick to the one thing and this really surprised me, and I so I, I did a video and a song and answer, and uh, suggested we, you know, I could horn in on the project. <laughs> yep, and now it's, well, I, I mentioned this off here, off air before, but uh, it's now number one aria in the top twenty uh, uh, jazz and blues albums chart, which is which is fantastic news. So uh, it looks like it's doing well already, and uh, Bruce Hutchins, uh, who's who's the sales manager here at Audible PFM. He was telling me that uh, the vinyl pre-sales were going really well, and that was a month ago when I interviewed Russell. So uh, it seems yeah. like it's getting a really good reception and, and early signs that it's doing really well, which is which is great news. Love the album artwork; it's got a really beautiful um, picture on the on the CD cover or the album, the, the vinyl cover, whichever you happen to get. And I think we that was. Thank the lovely Astrid for that. Yeah, it was done by a local artist on the Mornington Peninsula. I think she's based in Rye, from what what Bruce told me. Mm-hmm. Which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, Bruce is really, you know, Bruce has been the, the the fire behind this whole thing. He really kind of got it all together and got us all on it and uh, got the thing out. So he really uh, deserves big kudos for for, for that too. He's a, he's a tiger. Yeah, well, he knows he goes back a long way with you guys, so it's been interesting from my point of view to hear all about this because it's I don't know I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little bit younger than uh, than Bruce, not a lot, but a bit. Um, and uh, and you're older than than Bruce and a little bit younger than Russell Morris. Yeah, and you've been living in America for for 
donkey's years, haven't you? Like for what, 40, 30, yeah, 40 50 years? years? I'd say 50 years. You know, I wow. came over here in 71. Yeah. And uh, didn't know how long I was going to stay, really. I mean, I came over to... To, to try and do something, I just I just didn't realize it would take so damn long. But uh, <laughs> you know, ten years went by, and I really hadn't done anything except a couple of TV shows. I'd released albums, but apart from "Speak to the Sky" being a hit in 1972, there was nothing really that had happened. So it took a while. Yeah, but you got there in the end, and you're now uh, living the dream or, or loving life in Malibu, I believe. Yeah, yeah, we found a great place to to hang and. Um, yeah, I miss Australia. As I get older, I miss the country very, very, very much. I've actually, um, I just uh, imported a 55 FJ uh, Holden Ute over here, which is, I think it's like the fourth or the fifth one ever to arrive in America. And actually, Bruce found that for me too. I, I said, "Dude, I want to get a, I want to get a 55 Ute FJ Ute," because to me, that was in my childhood. That was. That was like, I don't know, it wasn't really cool because it was a local car and, you know, you didn't really think of them as cool. But in retrospect now, it's like the iconic Aussie car. Yeah, and they've become so, really uh, collectible, haven't they? Yeah, you're very collectible now. So so I had one brought up. Bruce found me a great one. It's been like 30 years in storage. I know most of them are kind of rust buckets sitting out in the... Uh, in, in the bush now, but but this one is is beautiful, and um, I, I'm still getting it made street legal because uh, you know there's certain things that need to be done, like um, put <laughs> put turn signals on it. Right, so I didn't <laughs> like have they didn't need those back in the day. Okay, so you just you would just lean out the window; it'd be sort of right turn. Yeah, just Clive. stick your hand out the window. Yeah, but this is a right this is a right side drive, which I'm keeping it as a right side drive, which is legal over here. But your hand signals don't work because they're the other side of the street, they won't see them. So, okay, if you get turn signals, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you haven't had a chance to actually drive around the, around town in that yet. No, but the, the guy that's working on it says people come in to his because he's got like Mercedes and old Fords and he's got incredible cars there. He's working on it says people come in and they say jaws drop because they've never seen a car like it. There's, <laughs> there's nothing like it over here. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And the, the, the the other ones that are over here are in pretty funky shape. I don't even think they're driving, but but this one will be driven. Yeah, fantastic. Well, that will be a sight to behold on the streets of Malibu, I would imagine. And uh, you'll get lots of uh, inqu- in- inquiries, I guess, about, now, where did that come from? And I've never seen yeah, one of them oh, before. I, I just actually, I did a, an episode. They, I don't know if you guys get over there. There's a thing called, Jay, you know who Jay Leno is over there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got a show over here called Jay, Jay's Garage. He's, he's like one of the biggest car collectors. He's got like multi, multi-million dollar car collection. Right. And actually his guy helped me get the, the Holden over here because he knew all the, you know, where all the bodies were buried as far as L.A. port and all that kind of stuff. So he helped me get it over. But I just did Jay's show just aired that I did with my, I have a uh, 63 Corvette that I just did on uh, on Jay's garage. I'm hoping next year I can do the same thing with uh, the FJ because I think that's even a cooler story. Oh, fantastic. That's, that's awesome. Now, Rick, let's go back to this album that you guys have recorded, you and Russell Morris. I just wanted to ask you, I mean, one of the songs that actually really stuck in my mind was Godforsaken World. Both the lyrics and the sort of the feel and the vibe of that song are really powerful. Just take me through some of the influences on you, because I know that you and Russell, 
you kind of you collaborated and 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 Russell first sent you a, a little sample of what he had in mind then you kind of reciprocated with something of your own then it, it grew very organically and Russell talked talked about how the album almost wrote itself from his point of view mm-hmm. and it was produced very yeah. very quickly tell me about your thought process what went into Godforsaken World well that was the first one I wrote actually after Russ sent me uh, Karma Leaders Dance yeah and um and I, I felt the kind of you know he, that's probably his uh, his darkest sounding song. Russ, Russ, I've said before, Russ is the uh, Russ is the, the the happy side, and I'm the much more the, the darker side. Um, and certainly, God forsaken world's about as dark <laughs> as I've gotten in a while. Right. But it, it's uh, I, I, it, it just gave me it kind of opened something up in me, and I could write about uh, you know the. God's forsaken world is really about how we've screwed the planet up, and I, I wonder where God is when all this terrible thing, all these terrible things are going on. But they've been going on forever, and we're just a, a bad species, I think, in the end. You know, at our heart, mm. and or not not our heart. I think at our heart we're good, we're good species, but uh, the bad side seems uh, easily rewarded and and seems to be easier to cross over to. Mm. So that's it's really about that. It's about how we've. Um, we've just not been the best stewards and, and, and her, you know, we're the only species that kill each other and, and the only species that kill ourselves. Mm. And, and so it says that, and that and also was written during COVID, so it talks about, you know, the plague is burning down my town. I guess it was at the height of COVID that I wrote it, where I was feeling really dark about the world and we were all in lockdown and no one knew what the end of the, end of the lockdown was going to be or even the end of the plague was going to be. And, and uh, and I think I threw all my all my fears and all my darkness into that that one song in particular, God's Forsaken World. Yeah, we. I mean, I heard recently that there's been you know there's been Americans who've been offering to invade Australia to rescue you know Melburnians from from tyranny. <laughs> they're uh, the same. They're the same people that stormed the capital. So don't yeah. take them up on it, please. No, we're hoping that they don't decide to go through with it. And now we're out of <laughs> lockdown. The maybe the the guy with the bullhorn and the uh, the the, the, the bullhorns on his head and the friggin' you know, Chewbacca coat. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we kind of, that's the scary thing. We saw a little bit of it because there were these riots Mm. in the city and it started out being, you know, the, the, uh, the, the building unionists who were annoyed that they weren't allowed to work. Uh, and then a whole bunch of other people kind of hijacked that that uh, demonstration. It really was a bit of a godforsaken city in uh, the centre of Melbourne for about a week back in. Yeah, I think it was, it was early scary September. Scary to see from here too. It seemed unreal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were shooting like China all of a sudden. Yeah, that's right. Or, or you know, really quite severe, you know, police response. Totalitarianism at its, at its finest. So what was it like when you were when you were writing Godforsaken World when you first began this project which I think you did the whole thing was completed pretty quickly like in a matter of months and collaboratively yeah, yeah, I, I would say 6 weeks we had it all done Isn't that amazing and that's to, that's like final product ready to to print the, the yeah, CDs it, yeah. it happened it happened really fast I mean to me I was writing a song uh, and then I call up my uh, my engineer and say let's you know let's go in and we'd record it the next day. Then the next day I'd write another one and say let's go in and record it. So it happened that fast for me, and I know it did for Russ who he, he was. We're almost like competing who could write them faster, but you know still keeping uh, our edge and still keeping the, the the good 
know, a good song as, as the final result. Yeah, yeah. Whether did, we achieved that or not, that, that's that's debatable. But we had a blast doing it anyway. So, did you have a lot of chats on the phone in between songs, or were you literally once the process began, it's like a game of tennis? You know, here's a serve from Russell, and there's a great uh, you know return from Rick, and then it just went on and snowballed from there. Or were you guys actually talking in between? sending each other the latest songs that you'd come up with or the latest beginnings of songs. Was there a lot of conversation between you in in developing no. ideas? No, not at all. Actually, it was like the tennis game. You know, Russ would send a song over and I'd, I'd send one back and it was that kind of friendly competition, I think, that A, spurred us on and got us to do things we might, you know, think twice about. There was no time for editing, for self-editing, you know. Mm. It was just... Uh, I'm just going to say this and damn it and put it down and then send it to Russ. See what yeah. he thinks. And and we okayed each, you know, we said, oh, I love that, I love that. You know, maybe a couple of uh, changes on this and that kind of thing. But most of it was just a, a game of tennis fully, truly yeah. was. It's, it's fantastic. And it's, isn't it f- funny how the creative process, when it's sort of spontaneous, can be better? And, and when you go back and edit, then maybe you sort of lose something that was there in the yeah. in the first draft in a way. Exactly. Mm. I, I, I was just we just actually mixing some demos for. Um, I have like all my original demos of all my songs that I've ever recorded, like since the '80s, anyway. And then and there's a whole but there's like five or six different songs that weren't used for Working Class Dog that I have demos for. And we're putting that out for a 40th anniversary of Working Class Dog. And there's there's three versions of one song right. that that I'm listening to like a version we didn't choose. I'm going, well, I kind of like that better than the version we chose. So it's uh, yeah, the, the editing process cannot necessarily be the best thing. And and this was something that I I spoke a little bit about with uh, Russell. Was I was interested to you know to know how you you collaborate over long distance. And I sort of after looking into it a bit. I realized that even before the pandemic, which kind of forced it on people because they were in lockdown and there wasn't international travel, certainly not into Australia, which is basically a fortress until very recently, still is a fortress. But that's all going to change soon. They're hopefully, hopefully going to open up uh, international flights and let all those Aussies who've been stuck overseas come home. So for producing music, it was already quite possible to, because of technology and and, um, the sort of accessibility, you could have a home studio, and that's the way a lot of people worked, like yourself and, and, and like Russell, before the pandemic. But I guess the pandemic made it mandatory. You didn't have any choice if you wanted to collaborate over long distances with people. So just tell me a little bit more about how that process worked uh, on a technical side. So you guys would, would send each other... Uh, like Dropbox, your early drafts of songs to each other, or how did it actually come together over such long um, distance? Well, it's, it, I, I'd been doing certainly everyone I know, and, and and before the pandemic, I'd been doing that if it was possible. You know, if there's a musician you really trust and you and you you know you send him the parts, and I, a couple of times I was uh, I get on like a FaceTime with them as they record. You know, and some. If, you don't, if they don't have a studio, they have access to someone who has a studio. So that's uh, like Greg Bissonette, who actually plays um, Matt and Greg Bissonette. Uh, Greg plays for, uh, has been playing drums for Ringo for like, I don't know, 20 years now. And he, he has his drums permanently set up in a studio so that if I want to record anything, I'll just you know send him the tracks and he'll record them in the, his drums in the studio and then just send them back. And we've been doing that kind of stuff for a long time. Right. But, once the pandemic 
came in and, and I was contacting players saying, can you come over and do this? And they were going, well, no, I'm not, I can't. I, I'm freaked out about the thing and I don't, you know, I don't want to get the plague and all that. So we really just, it became totally just, I'll send you the parts and you do your thing. And, uh, and if we don't like it, we'll send it to you again and do something else. And that's how it basically, uh, I think that's going to probably be the m- more the norm you know, I think the pandemic has changed a lot of the way people work in, in any career, and and certainly uh, the, the recording industry was 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 into that way before the pandemic. You know, the, you, you can do it all from your home. I mean, uh, I have a I have a great little studio here at my home with all you know Class A gear and everything, and then I can do anything in uh, in here that I could do in the old studios where they charge a sixteen hundred you know, two grand a day. So it put a lot of them out of business, everyone having these great studios. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's still some great ones around where sometimes I'll go in and do drums in a, in a, in a particular studio just for the room, you know, the size of the room and the, and the sound. But it's all, it's just, you know, with all the software and everything, it's, it's crazy how easy it is to, to do stuff from home. Yeah, isn't it great? And, and particularly given that, that, uh, that the pandemic's kind of forcing this on us, You've been touring a bit because I think Bruce Hutchins has been saying that you're you're still touring. So I was going to ask you, given you can do stuff at home and your studio can produce albums, get stuff out, be productive in that way, have you missed touring or have you not been too impacted over there? I know you're touring recently in the States. Yeah, no, I've missed, I've missed playing live for sure. I've missed that audience connection. That's really the only... There's nothing really can take that to the place of that, mm. of that direct audience. You know, I've done a lot of... I've, we did a Zoom concert from my living room. Right. And, um, I've done a bunch of things from my studio. But, you know, it's, it's absolutely not the same. Mm. There's just no connection, even though, you know, you, you try real hard to make it feel like that. It's just... It, there's nothing takes the place of, of live concert. Yeah. And... Um, and we've missed everybody's missed it. I've heard from fans all the time about. Oh my God, I can't. I, it's been so long since I've seen a concert. I'm going out of my mind. And you can see the energy when you do play. That the people are so excited to be, to be able. You know, it's, with, that's the way we commune together now. Um, you know, even at, even at footy games and things like that. There's always half the crowd is on the opposite side. But at a music, you know, at a show, they're all there for the music. Yeah. And everyone's energy is pointed in the one direction. There was, you know, that that kind of connection used to come through church, you know, going to church or or, or things that that aren't as popular now. And so I think our we commune as human beings uh, as much as you know social media will allow it <laughs> at concerts. Yeah, yeah. We'd love the pandemic to be over. We'd love that there to be sort of clarity about what the future holds, but. There's still a lot of uncertainty, isn't it? We really are in a pretty uncertain Absolutely. situation right around the world, including Australia. Yeah, very much so. We're talking with my manager uh, the other day. We've done a, a couple of shows. We did like a private a birthday party, you know, where they'll <laughs> they have enough money to hire you to play the birthday, you know, one of those weird things. <laughs> but um, uh, it's, um, it's, you know, he's saying we have a tour plan for next year with some great people and uh, he said, you know, we just, we're still not there yet to pull the trigger because everyone's going, I don't know what, we really just don't know what's going to happen. It could be some new variant pop up and suddenly we're all back under, so no one, you know, because it's, it's all about money. No one wants to lay down money that they could lose if everything shuts down again. It's very, um, very, very weird. Very yeah. weird and an odd time and, and 
no one is it's, it's like the stock market you know which way is the stock market going to go no one knows yeah <laughs> and no one knows what's going to happen with the future of uh, the plague either mm. so going back to that song the uh, the godforsaken world and i know that that's got it's got it's got connections to what you were living through which which i guess was what we have been living through for a really long time in melbourne with my take on america is it was a lot less full on a lot less you know you were being forced to stay in your yeah, home yeah there was no, there was no uh, you know got to be in your home by 8 o'clock can't go more than five, no, no, more than five kilometers, you know, away from your house. There was none of that kind of stuff. Right. It was just shutting down restaurants. It was putting people out of business, is what it was, you know, restaurants and and um, people who you know depend on daily traffic to survive. It was, but uh, if you felt comfortable getting together with people, you did. And and flying, uh, I don't know. It, it it took a giant hit, but it uh, it came back fairly quickly. Saying you know you got to now you got to mask up as soon as you enter the airport and and have to leave it on until you walk out of the, the destination airport. It's still like that, but but they had that in place like in probably first third of the of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's... it wasn't quite as militant as as uh, Australia got, but you also have I don't I mean I haven't been in Australia for a while, but you have a lot of factions here in America that. I don't know how to put it. There, uh, you know, there's some very antisocial, but very powerful uh, elements of America that uh, you know they're armed with guns. Mm-hmm. You know, which is one thing about Australia, at least, is most people. You know, I don't know if it's still the same, but I don't think most people have a gun. Mm-hmm. And over here, that's uh, that's not the case, and and so. Uh, They've got bigger voices if you're holding a bunch of guns and you've got people behind you. This, your voice, you you reported more. And, of course, the news loves to report stuff like that, and they blow it up all out of proportion. And So it's no, in the end, no one really knows. You know, like the Capitol thing. No one, the attack on the Capitol. Nobody really knew, wow, is this, like, really going to, you know, succeed? It was just a bunch of idiots, you know, climbing over walls and a bunch of other people going, well, maybe we shouldn't shoot these people because it's just like a, a group. And, you know, it was just very odd. It's all new stuff, and everyone's just trying to figure out what the reality is, I guess. Of it. Yeah, it is that theme of, I guess, people getting to boiling point in, in some cases. I think there's also some people who, are, you know, kind of do this for a living or they like doing it or that's that's gives yeah, them a sense totally. of power. Yeah. They're, looking, they're, they're looking for the revolution, you know, a lot, a lot of this these groups. But it's also, you know, kind of road rage where you just get to the point where you just explode over 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 some guy flipping you off or whatever. Yeah, well, yeah. well, you don't do that in America. I haven't been there for ages, but I remember, you know, you don't, in, in Melbourne or in Australia, you know, if you pull up at the lights and someone's cut you off, you might wind on your window and have a go at them. You wouldn't do that in America because you never know what they might have in their glove box. Exactly right, exactly right. Mm. It, it, it's really hard too sometimes because, you, you know, in a car you feel like invulnerable. You know, I have a friend who was pulled up at a stoplight and... Uh, it was this uh, kid behind him in a car, and apparently the uh, guy in a pickup up the front had pissed him off. And he, this, it, my friend looks over, and this young kid's walking towards this guy's car with a gun in his hand. And my friend winds down the window and says, dude, it's not worth it. And this kid stopped and thought about it and then went back to his car. But, mm. yeah, you never know who's got what over mm. here. It's mm. a pretty scary thing. 
Well, we stopped. That stopped in the. I think it was about the mid nineteen nineties. Might have been ninety six from memory when there was in Australia there were there were more liberal gun laws until nineteen ninety six, and then there was a mass shooting in Tasmania. A, uh, a young mm-hmm. guy shot up a cafe yep. at, at Port Arthur, and it was. I mean, it really, yeah. I remember actually really being. I think even in tears, uh, just feeling. You know, it was just such a heavy thing to happen in australia it's a, like, yep. you know i heard about it somewhere else but but not here and uh no at and, home it, 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 i i saw something on the news yesterday some guy some kid was finally sentenced for uh killing 17 kids at a school and i don't remember which one that was there's been so many i'm going wow you know he killed 17 people and i i don't know which one of the mass shootings it was because there's been so many I know it's just horrific what happens in America and it's almost got to the point where it's just so common over there it happens so often mm-hmm. that it doesn't even get reported here you know it's just it's yeah. it's so common whereas you know here we report you know if it's a really slow news news day uh could be just a bad car accident with no fatalities it's not it's an accident but it still gets reported mm-hmm. so it's completely different you know level of well access to guns obviously makes a big difference but i guess yeah it really does and, and it's some it's pandora's box you know it really is it's like you can't i mean i still you know you still can go in and buy a frigging uh, assault rifle here which is insane to me and the whole thing with uh, i mean you know I, i'm not a disbeliever in guns but i um the, the whole thing of you know the right to bear arms was written when it took you five minutes to load a a, a powder flintlock gun and mm. have one shot. Mm. It didn't. It doesn't refer to you know sixty four round magazines that you can empty in five seconds at a bunch of people. Mm, I know. The right to bear arms was was created when it was you know these kind of things. Mass shootings weren't possible. You couldn't do that with an old flintlock rifle. Yeah. So it's it's, it's just it's, it's tough. It's a really tough thing to. Uh, obviously, they should absolutely should pull the assault weapons off off the table. Absolutely, but you know, I know. So the, the thing is, there's so much money over here, and by the time a politician gets anywhere, they've sold their soul. Yeah. To you know all the special interests, and that's that's just the way it seems to be now. There seems to be no. I mean, I wouldn't never run for politics. I don't know anyone who, in their right mind, who would. It's just uh, they—they they all, they, all the politicians over here look to me like like Dorian Gray's painting. Like all their evil is like shows on their face. <laughs> just freaky to me. Like well, Pelosi we, and we uh, have... McConnell and all those guys. They look—they they look wretched. <laughs> Yeah, that's look. The world, I think, has a problem with the kinds of people who are being attracted to go into politics, and yeah. uh, it's not just in America. I think Australia's got a real no, I'd still, problem. I'd still rather it be us than than Putin or or the China, you know in China. I mean, I'd much rather it be yes. the guys that are in power in America, right? You know, yeah. What's what's the what's the opposite choice? Yeah, that's right. Well, it, it comes down, but it's still not great. And I guess all that, what all this is, this background that you live in and that we all live in, but in particular in America, it seems to be a kind of focal point for this tension between what goes with freedom, guns, violence, mm-hmm. radicalism, the freedom to express that, and then the other side of it, which is the Russian and the Chinese model, where if you put a foot out of line, you're in jail or worse. There's so much fodder here for artists. I guess it's even more important than ever that that creative people can have a voice and can 
can offer some insights, can offer some some understanding into into the situation the world finds itself in, because we're kind of on very thin ice. Like almost anything now, you could wake up and you know that uncertainty we talked about before with the pandemic. Well, you could almost read anything on a headline on your phone, you know, or on the newspaper in the morning, and it wouldn't be that you know like nothing surprises because anything's possible. No, I know. I I think. The world kind of feels that now. We just the, the acceptance of these as the last days really is 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 scarily, you know, okay with everybody. Yeah, we're we're in the last days. We're going down, uh, and everybody seems to yeah. Uh, that's really nothing we can do. And and I I don't if we cleaned up all our air, um, you know, Russia's not going to, China's not going to, India's not going to. Um, so you know, it's uh, like Brazil. You know, the rainforests are are getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And there's always new stories of animals going extinct, and, and there's way too many of us. And, and I, my my last novel, actually called World on Fire, is exactly about that. But it's a that and I wrote, finished it during the the, the epidemic, the plague, and it's about a plague that comes to the earth and. You know, wipes out half half the world to save the planet. But it's you know, it's there's more to it than that. But it it uh, I, I, other than that, I don't know what the answer is. There's just too many of us with too many different points of view and too many names for God. Isn't it sad? I just hope that um, yeah, that that the voices of artists like yourself can shed some light on this because. Well, I think we can add occasional insight, but I've always felt art was a reflection of society rather than the other way around. You know, we reflect what we feel, and we feel because society is feeling that. You know, a really great artist like Dylan or somebody like that will certainly feel it way before um, it's a mass uh, awareness. But, mm. you know, I think art really is, you know, music is a reflection of, uh, of society. It just reflects society. But, you know... Uh, early ideas, both positive and negative. Mm. And the pandemic's really sort of thrown a, you know, it was already a, a fragile situation. There was already a lot of tension around. There were already mass shootings. There was already problems with China and Russia and, and, yeah. and you know, yeah. increasing uh, influence of China in, the, in North Asia and in the South China Sea. And, I mean, we were even, you know, the, the, know there's, there's fishing boats that are Chinese that are, uh, that are, you know, moving into Indonesian waters just north of Australia. There's concern about them uh, getting their foothold into, uh, into Papua New Guinea. So it's, it's affecting Australia as well. And, really? Yeah, yeah, it's much more of a uh, a kind of an acceptance. I mean, there's people who are saying we we could well have a war with China, and won't hopefully won't just be yeah, us. No, I, I feel that's the next. That's if there's going to something happen, it's going to happen over China and and Taiwan and yeah. and you know them them pushing the whole South China Sea thing. And I totally feel that. And and I I don't know. You know, I thought I thought the next war would be purely economic, but I'm starting not to think that now. Well, let's hope we can dodge this bullet. Let's just come back a little bit. I mean, it's I, I love talking about all this stuff. I think it's it's fascinating and it's scary and it's stuff that I'm interested to hear mm. your your perspective too. But Jack Chrome and the Darkness Waltz is is this collaborative project of you and it's the perfect r- song for the perfect time. <laughs> it is, it is, and and particularly that one. Godforsaken world, which which kind of the name says it all, really. And you said that you know you can see so many examples of sort of badness and and the sort of dark side of of human nature, and very little of the good side. 
Rick, are you are you religious? Are you a guy? Do you go to church? Or what's what's your no. belief area? I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't. I say I'm, I'm a spiritual seeker rather than religious. I've never been uh, into the dogma of of, of religion and mm. uh, the organized religions. You know, I've, I've certainly looked at them all and and, and found that for me, it's a, you know, I feel like I have a cross tattooed on my arm and I have crosses all over my house, but I wouldn't say that I'm uh, for a Christian, but I would say that is deep in me because I was raised with that. But I, I went, started meditating and looking to the East because they spoke of God being within you rather than living outside. And, you know, I was raised thinking God was this father figure that, that you know, decided when you got favors and when you were messed up, kicked, your, kicked you in the butt, you know, that it was kind of an odd way to view God. And, and then and the Eastern religions, again, as I said, put God within you. And that's, I like that better. Mm. That seemed uh, truer to me. And, and and honestly, the one thing I've gotten into over the, over the lockdown, my wife got, got me into it, was meditation. It was TM. And I, I'd done it before, but I kind of fell away from it. But it's really uh, been helpful to me about uh, centering and, and not being so stressed out. And, uh, I, I'd advise anyone who is stressed, and let me guess, that's probably 99.999% of the people who are listening to this, <laughs> because we are stressed out animals. I would uh, advise, I would advocate, you know, at least checking TM out, because it's, it's not a religion, it's not a cult, it's been around for 5,000 years, and it, I can tell you it works. Yeah, there's. A, I, I hear you, and and there's there's a lot of people who uh, are struggling, and mental illness has been a thing that's uh, you know the government's just starting to sort of spend a bit of money because they're realising that a big a consequence of having the, the longest cumulative lockdown in in Greater Melbourne, oh, and having God, you know the, the sort of ring of steel around the city. We've only just opened up, so you're going to be allowed to travel into this, the country from Greater Melbourne. That hasn't wow. been allowed for for about three months. Yeah, and and great. and a lot of people are trying to get out. Like that, the, there's a big labour shortage in a lot of regional parts of, of Victoria and Australia, but oh, particularly here too. because yeah, because everyone's leaving the city. To come, get people to come back to work. Yeah, wild. So it's it's a, it's a big change. I love this album. You know, I hope this really strikes a chord with people and gets people thinking a little bit about that it is an uncertain world and that there is darkness, but that there's also, you know, just as, as that theme of the Day of the Dead, uh, the, the festival in, in Mexico, you know, that there's, there's, it doesn't have to be macabre. You know, we're about to have Halloween, which is, a, which is, which is definitely kind of macabre and ghoulish, whereas uh, the Day of the Dead is not like that. Something that interested me, because I spoke to a friend who's uh, from Mexico originally. She lives down on the Mornington Peninsula now. She was telling me that with the Day of the Dead, like you'll, you'll write eulogies for people who are alive. So you're kind of saying to your loved ones, uh, here's what I value most about your life. And I'm putting it in writing to you as a little, like a little love letter, if you While like. While you can hear it. <laughs> While you can hear it, exactly. Rather, they don't have eulogies at funerals. They have them essentially before they're dead. Right. Part part of the Eastern religion that I think I like there, I would follow this guy named Soyo Rinpoche for a while. He was a Tibetan uh, monk, and he, he said uh, the West thinks of death as natural and and that doesn't prepare for it. When, when it comes, it's just an incredibly stressful thing because they haven't prepared for it, whereas the East, it's part of their life, knowing that, that death will come. And like, you know, like Freud said, 
look at death as a goal because it's uh, it, it's that, that's actually helped me a lot is grasping that view of not to be afraid of it. You know, I mean, everyone's afraid of dying. I mean, like I said, there's no atheists on a crashing plane, but um, <laughs> death itself is is not you know not not to be feared and uh, and is to be prepared for. Which day of the day of the you know the day of the dead does that. Uh, acknowledges that at least mm. for the ones who who accept that acknowledgement. I think it's a great festival, and and the whole idea of of uh, reincarnation of coming back as another. I know if you're really bad, maybe you come back as a sheep, you know, <laughs> or, or uh, coming back again to do it all over again. The, uh, the day of the dead is much more pleasing to me. Coming back the spirit you were and coming back with your loved ones to share a couple of weeks together and, and, and embrace. And I just love that whole idea. I think that what you said before, that death is a goal, I think that's a really interesting thing to, to think about, actually. It's mm-hmm. a, really, a really interesting way of, of, of putting it. Um, yeah. Rick, I'd love to keep talking forever, but I'm going to have to edit this down anyway. <laughs> and I'm, The longer it goes, the bigger the job. Yeah, yeah, the more uh, work. I know, I get it. But, um, <laughs> but, but you know what? It's, it, it is really it's a pleasure to talk to you, and, uh, and I, I, I find it amazing how you know, some people you can just quickly, you can sort of settle into a pretty easy conversation. You're certainly one of those people. So Rick Springfield, collaborator on this a brilliant new album with Russell Morris. It's called Jack Chrome and the Darkness Waltz. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Very good luck with the release of this mid-October, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, and the Day of the Dead is coming up. And the Day of the Dead is coming up. And let's hope that you get out to tour in Australia because uh, uh, it would be great to hear some of the songs from this album. I'd love to hear Godforsaken World live. That would really be a treat. <laughs> That'd be great. I, you know, I haven't toured Australia as a solo artist, really. I mean, it'd be great to go and certainly do it with Russ or with Sud or whoever we do it with. It'd be fun to come home. And would you perform it with the uh, the Day of the Dead makeup on? <laughs> that would be a question. I've heard that uh, from guys who have worn actually makeup on stage. It's when you start to sweat, it can be a bit of an issue when it runs into your eyes. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I know, I know, um, I, I know Paul Stanley from uh, from Kiss. I'll ask him. <laughs> I was thinking of Kiss and thinking they would be the people to ask. All right, look, thanks so much, Rick Springfield. Yeah, have a great day, and I uh, hope you can do some more touring, and, and hopefully this latest strain or delta that's going on, and I believe is quite bad in America and the UK now. Let's hope that they get that under control and people see the light. I, I think there's, and one of the problems with America is only half the people are vaccinated, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, still a lot of holdouts, a lot mm. of holdouts. And mm. I, it's a this weird thing called cognitive dissonance where it just it, it doesn't fit who they believe they are. So to get the shot would be like, you know, killing someone when they don't believe they're an actual murderer. So it's very weird. It's a hard, hard thing to to uh, to turn people around them. And, when and it's part of their belief structure, you know. Yeah, and they've been, and then then it comes back to what is influencing that belief structure. And there's so much misinformation, and there's just so much crap on totally. the on the internet, on the I social know that media. I think the government. I, I know that the government. Uh, you know, it's, it's smart enough to sneak something like turn us into zombies. The government, all the governments are stupid. The, the American government couldn't even run uh, the post office for profit when it was a monopoly. <laughs> they don't, they, they are, aren't capable of doing this grand scheme of like injecting, you know, creating this disease and injecting us with all this stuff that's going to control us or whatever they think it is. It's just insane to me. Yeah. 
there's a segment of America that seems very vulnerable to these kind of conspiracy theories, which, you know, which Absolutely. most people kind of just go, you must be crazy to, you know. Well, talk to Bruce about the conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I will. He's in the background. He's waving at me. Um, yeah, he goes, yeah, thumbs up on the conspiracy theory, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks so much, Rick, and uh, the very best of luck with this new album. Because I know Russell was Russell wants to uh, wants to tour again and get down to the Mornington Peninsula where we are. It'd be great if you you uh, could join him at some point. Great. All right. Thanks Thank so much, Rick. Appreciate it. Okay. Take it easy, man. Bye.